0: destiny city a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their god-given destiny nothing can just exist in its of itself except god he always was and he always is and he always will be he just is so he that comes to god must believe that he is and what else must he believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him Now, when you come to God and you come seeking, God's going to reward that because it shows a dependence upon him and it shows a humility in ourselves. When we humble ourselves before the Lord and we come to him in total humility, total dependence on him, God loves that because it gives him an opportunity to do what he does best, and that's be God. You know, some of us, I I remember seeing a little t-shirt. I used to have one of them. As a matter of fact, says, there are two things in this world that are for sure And that is that there is a God and you're not him. And so we know that. So there's so much that we can say about the subject of prayer. There are many different kinds of prayer. There's the prayer of intercession, where someone is pleading on behalf of another. If you want to see about that, you can just look in the book of Deuteronomy and see how that Moses interceded for the people of Israel when God was ready to wipe them out because of their sin, also in Exodus and, um, you can see where Jesus is our intercessor that's seated at the right hand of the father, making intercession for us according to the will of the father. So there's a prayer of intercession. There's a prayer of repentance. Repentance is when we come to God and we make a declaration that things are going to change, that we're going to go in a right direction and forsake the direction that we were going in. To repent means to turn around. It means to turn around and go in another direction. It's having a change of mind about who God is, about who you are, and about what God wants to do in your life. And and uh, then there's the prayers of petitions where we are asking God for things. That's probably what God gets the most of. You know, he probably gets more petition prayers than anything else. Lord, I want, I need, I'd like to have kind of prayers. You know what I'm saying? And there's, there's the prayer of supplication. The prayer of supplication is... One where you don't understand what's going on, but you're praying anyway. You're making supplication before the Lord with groanings and utterings that you don't know necessarily what you're praying about. But you know that there's something inside of you that's crying out to God. That's the prayers of supplication. So uh, there are a lot of different kinds of prayers that we want to talk about. But, you know, most people believe this. Most people believe that when you pray, it's got to be a very private thing. And you do it in your closet, and nobody else should hear you praying. Anybody ever heard that? Well, there is something said to be said about that because it says so in Matthew or in, in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 6. It says, Jesus said, when you pray, you're not to be seen, not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full, but when you pray, go into your inner room, And and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, that's, that's true when it comes to prayers pertaining to yourself. When you go before the Lord and, and, and you make your daily um, prayers before the Lord, it's to be a private matter. Uh, I guess a prayer that would be likened to the ones that stand on the street's corner to be seen by men is go to the book of Luke and look at Luke chapter, um, chapter 18 about the guy that's praying in the temple. You know, he's praying a Pharisee stands up. And that's the proper term for them. Pharisee means set-apart ones. And they really believe that they are totally set-apart. They live like it. I mean, they won't even get in the elevator with a Gentile. You'll either have to wait till they get in and do their thing or wait till they get out before you can get in. They just won't allow it. They don't want to touch a Gentile. So they are the set-apart ones. And nothing has really changed in all of their history. So there was a Pharisee that was in the temple one day, and he stood up and he prayed. And Jesus said he prayed to himself. He prayed to himself and he says, God, I'm glad that I'm not like that sinner over there, that publican, that tax collector. I give my tithe twice a week. I pray and I fast. I'm just so glad that I'm not like him. And Jesus said there was a publican who was on his knees and he was crying out to God. And he wouldn't even lift up his head. He was just so humiliated in himself and humble before God. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one of those do you think was justified when he prayed? Which one do you think? Of course, it was the publican who was praying to God. He wasn't praying to himself. And we've all heard those kind of prayers, you know. We we hear somebody praying, Lord, I just want to thank you that uh, that I'm not like the guy down the street, or I just thank you, Lord, that uh, you've given me that 1955 Chevrolet that I've been praying about, and you're just so good to me and and I'm just perfect in every way. and I thank you for it, Lord, because you made me that way. <laughs> so those are those are kind of futile prayers that don't go any farther than the sound of your voice. They don't really get any results. But I want to talk to you about the kind of prayer. It gets God's attention and brings results. Would you all like to know what kind of prayers those are? Well, first of all, if you go to the book of James, you'll see where James says that that, uh, you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask in order that you may heap it upon your flesh. You ask amiss so that you can heap it upon your flesh. Now, those kind of selfish praying, God usually doesn't pay much attention to. And so if you're praying those kind of prayers, and you've been praying for that uh, car that you don't really need, maybe the third one to go in the third stall you got in the garage or something, don't look for God to do too much about it. It may eventually come if you work hard enough and just do the things that are necessary to get it, but you can't really say that God has a whole lot to do with it except that he gives you the ability to do that. So, you know, those kind of prayers we, we pray amiss sometimes, and sometimes those prayers just don't get much attention from the Lord. But the kind that matters the most is the kind that is effective and powerful. We call these the prayers of faith. Now, the prayer of faith is this, okay? When you pray, when you pray, I didn't say if you pray. How many know that Christians are supposed to pray? A lack of prayer shows one thing. It shows a lack of humility. It shows a lack of dependence upon God, and it shows a lack of faith when we don't pray. So Jesus automatically assumed that if we're a child of God, we're going to want to commune with him. We're going to want to pray. We're going to want to talk to him. It's not something that we do religiously or rhetorically. It's something that we do out of necessity. It's something we do out of relationship because we love God. We're in tune with him. And, and he knows us. We have a relationship with him. I love to see people, you know, riding down the road. Sometimes I'll stop at a stop sign or something or, or, a, or a traffic light, and I'll look over, and I'll see someone in their car. And they might be sitting there just for a moment. You'll see them kind of close their eyes just for a second, and their mouth is just going. You basically know pretty much what's going on. Either they're memorizing something or they're praying, you know. And, and that's a cool thing because the Bible says in the book of First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, it says pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. So how do we pray without ceasing? It's having an attitude of prayer. It's where we, we go around and we're in constant communion with the Lord. We're constantly aware of his presence. And it's just like Billy Graham said one time. Somebody asked him the question. He said, Dr. Graham said, how is it that in all your years of ministry and everything else, we've seen others around you, great men who have fallen to temptation and have been exposed. How come that has never happened to you? And Dr. Graham said, well, it's just very simple. He said, I practice the presence of God. In other words, I know that he's with me constantly. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. He always walks with me. And as long as I know that my Lord is there, I'm not going to do anything that's going to bring shame or reproach to his name because he's with me. I don't want to embarrass my father. So therefore, I've watched and I've guarded my life. I heard him say one time that when he goes into a hotel room, when he was doing his evangelistic crusades and stuff, he had two men that he carried with him. Cliff Barrels was one of them. And, of course, um, uh, George Beverly Shea was the other. And he also had an assistant who would go into his room before he would go into it. And they would always call the front desk and make sure that there was no um, R-rated movies or anything else being piped into the room. Didn't want any of that. Made sure that there was no female employees or anything else coming to his room to guard himself against what other people would say. So he guarded his life, which is a good thing. I'm not going to talk about that today. I'm talking about prayer. But what Dr. Graham was saying is I'd maintain an attitude of prayer. It's constant communion with God. That's all prayer is. It's talking to someone. My wife and I are praying all the time. We talk. (laughs) I ask questions and she answers. That's what prayer is. When we talk to the Father, we should expect an answer. How many, when you pray, you're just hoping God will answer? You just hope God will hear you? Well, that's not praying in faith. When you pray in faith, you know God hears you, and you know that God answers. You know what kind of prayers that God doesn't really answer? The ones we ask amiss. And the ones we ask amiss are the ones where we don't... Couple it with faith and believe God. God always answers when we call to him. I want to give you God's phone number. You can write it down. It's Jeremiah 3.3. Jeremiah 3.33. 33.3, that's it. Call upon me and I will answer and show you great and mighty things that you know not. That's God's phone number. And so when you need to, 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 to get a hold of God, just call on him. And he'll always answer. Hello? This is God. You just rang my number. I heard you. So, you know, in, in Jesus, and in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talked about when you pray. And then in verses 9 through 13, he gives us the model prayer. And most of us know it by heart. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. So, so we most of us know that by heart. We can recite it. Jesus didn't give us a recitation, a recitation, a recital, recitation, yeah. He gave us a model. He gave us a blueprint for prayer. He said, when you pray, pray like this. He didn't say, pray this. He said, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven is acknowledgement of God as your Father. Now, how many of you have a good relationship with your dads? I hope most of us do. And when you have a good relationship with your dad or if you're a father and you have a good relationship with your sons, you understand that you want your sons to have the best that they can have. So if your son comes and asks you for something, what are you going to do? Are you going to tell him, no, kid, you can't have the sucker. Go away, you bother me. We don't do that, do we? Jesus Said it like this. He says, "If you, if you being a father know how to give, uh, uh, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give you those things that you ask for? If you, if your son comes to you and asks you for an egg, are you going to give him a snake? Or if he gives you, asks you for a piece of bread, are you going to give him a rock? Wouldn't that be a cruel thing? Here, son, make you a sandwich out of these, a couple pieces of slate. Chew on that a while. You know." And so we understand a little bit what Jesus was talking about. But the kind of prayer that is most effective and powerful is the prayer of faith. James 5, 13 through 18 contains a passage that's very telling concerning prayer. And he says this, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Now we talked about this a lot in our, our life group the other night. Is any among you suffering or is anyone afflicted? Let him pray. Now, afflictions are those things which pressures without and pressures within. Jesus said in, in John 16 33, in this world you will have tribulation. And that word tribulation is the word from which we get the word stress. It means stress, trouble, tribulation. In this world you will have tribulation. Everybody say you will have tribulation. Will have tribulation. Has anybody here never had any tribulation? Any trouble? Any stress? I just wanted to make sure, because if you haven't, you will. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And because he has overcome, you and I are overcomers. You know when you start being an overcomer? Not when you just say you are, but when you start overcoming But you know what? You have to begin to say that you were an overcomer before you will begin to be an overcomer. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if we're constantly doubting ourselves and doubting ourselves and, and criticizing ourselves and we wonder why other people do it, hey, maybe there's a secret there. If you will begin to speak good about yourself, If you will begin to say what God says about you and how valuable you are to Him, then you will begin to see a different picture of yourself and then you will start overcoming. You will begin to realize that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I am more than a conqueror through Him who loved me and gave Himself for me. See, that's what God wants us to see about ourselves, that we are more than. Not just, I'm not just an overcomer. I'm more than a conqueror, amen. So, I'm I'm Donald on steroids. (laughs) Donald is overcomer, world ruler. That's what my name means, I love it. And so, by the spirit of God, I know that there's nothing that is impossible through him who lives within me. If God tells me to do something, I can do it. I love what David said. David said, I can run through a troop and jump over a wall. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's the kind of confidence that he had. That's what made him a conqueror. When David went up against Goliath, he went knowing the victory is already won. He said, you come at me with a spear and a sword and a big one at that. But I come against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel, the king whom you have defied. I'm taking you down, big boy. Whoop. Down he went. All nine foot six inches of him. Wow. That's what positive reinforcement, thinking what God thinks, doing what God says to do, will do in us. And that comes when we begin to pray, we begin to commune with the Father. And the more we talk to him and the more he talks to us and the more we begin to learn what he really thinks about us, the more... Victorious we become. The more overcoming we become, we realize that we can do anything. Well, Becky and I were just down at a conference last week, and and uh, there was a prophet there, and and we wanted to go up and just see what he had to say. You know, you t- you know how to tell if a prophet's a prophet, can't you? Yeah, what he says is true, or if it comes true. So we go up to this guy, and I start to tell him a little bit about myself. He says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" He said, "I don't want to know anything about you." And he looks at me and he says, you're a bulldog. I'm like, I know what he meant. He says, you're a bulldog. He said, when you get a hold of something, you just won't let go. My wife's over there. (laughs) And what makes me that way? I don't know if it has anything to do with the way I was raised, being the youngest of four sons. I don't know if, you know, being number eight on the chain of 11. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not. But I know that when God says you can do something, if God tells me to do something, we're going to do it. Because I know that God will make a way. He'll make a way. I mean, there doesn't have to be a way except God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So if there is not a way, then Jesus is it. He is the way. So no matter what anybody tells you can't be done, you tell them it's already done. It is already done. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us and who gave himself for us that he might present us unto himself. You know, God has big plans for you and me. So here we go. 5.13. It says, if there's any among you who is sick, any suffering, let him call or let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing praises. Is anyone sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. So just, just for my own sake, I looked up that word call in the Greek, and it's proskalomai, and it means to call toward oneself or summons or to invite, to call for. You see, when we're sick a lot of times, we, who's the first person we call? Doctor, doctor, give me the goose. You know what? We call them up, and they're the first persons we call. When the Bible says that when we're sick, what should we do? Call for the elders. You know who are the elders? They're the Presbyterians. They are the elders in the church. Call for the elders in the church, and let them do what? Let them anoint them. And pray over them, anointing him in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. How many believe that? Well, some of us do. Some of us obviously don't. But when we believe it, we will do it. And when we do it, God will respond. Because God responds to faith. Amen. we got two amens out that. That's pretty good. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, you all know what that word means, therefore? You wonder what it's there for. Well, it's a connecting. It's an adjective that connects one. It's like a conjunction that connects one sentence to another. or One phrase has been said to another. And so, (laughs) therefore, confess your faults or your sins, to one another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. Why do we carry guilt and shame and everything else around when we don't have to? When we confess our faults to one another, we can confess our sins to one another. Get somebody to pray with you. Get over it. You know, I, I think we ought to make a hymn in the church, that song that, uh, that the Eagles did a couple of years ago called Get Over It. You know, we can leave out a couple of words, but you know, all the moaning and groaning and everything else that people do, why don't we just get over it and get into the Word of God and let the Word of God speak to us and and move on, amen? Okay. (laughs) The effective or the effective, the energy, the effective, efficient, effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous ones can accomplish much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. That's the kind of prayer that God loves to hear. That word fervent, y'all know what fervent is. You ever heard of fervent heat, hot, red hot praying? When, when we're passionate about what we're praying about, it's not one of those things where you just go, Oh God in heaven, thou who hast created the heavens and the earth. Now let me make sure I make it this right. Uh, I thank thee that thou hast. And, and we kind of pray like somebody else has prayed or we, we, we just kind of mouthing words and hoping that God is going to respond. And I think if we're religious enough or if we say it loud enough, have you ever heard somebody pray really, really, really loud? Like God's deaf. Well, I got news for you. God's not deaf and he's not nervous either. If that's what it takes for you to get your prayers answered, pray that way. I have cast out demons that way, you know, because uh, they can be stubborn little boogers and you sometimes have to be very emphatic with them. They're kind of like a little dog that follows you around. You sometimes have to say, get, get on out of here. But it's not so much the manner in which you speak, it's the matter of the heart. I have heard those quiet prayers that are whispered passionately toward God. We get just as good an answer, or as quick or powerful an answer as those that are shouted and yelled. Unnecessarily, but it's all necessary. Can't say that it's not, but I'm talking about the fervent. Now that word effectual fervent, it means to be mighty in, to show forth, uh, to show forth self or to work effectively in. That's that's what it means when we when we show forth the passions of our heart. Now the next verse stood out, stood out to me quite a lot, especially in the past few years. Verse 17. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Well. The first time that Elijah appeared on the scene in 1 in, in Kings was with a prayer. Elijah the Tishmite, who was from the tribe of Gilead. Does anybody know who the tribe of Gilead was? Some of you Bible scholars know who the tribe of Gilead was. They were, a, they were a non-tribe, actually. They were a group of people that's, that when when the children of Israel would come into Canaan, They were a group of people that had heard about what they were doing, that they were driving out their enemies and disposing of them as the Lord had told them to do. And so they came and they deceived the nation of Israel by telling them they they got some old, worn-out, wine skins, and some old saddles and stuff, and their shoes were worn out and stuff, and they came to the elders of Israel, and they told them that they had come from a long way off, and that they had heard what they were doing to their enemies, and that they were afraid of their God, and they wanted to cut covenant with them so that the people of Israel would protect them and allow them to be their neighbors without destroying them. So the people of Israel didn't seek God about it or anything. They just automatically assumed this is what going on because it looked that way. You know, here they were in old, tattered clothes and looked like they had traveled a long way and everything. So they cut covenant with them that they would not destroy them and that they would allow them to live peaceably with them. Elijah was from that tribe of people, but he was a prophet. And the first thing we hear about Elijah is that Elijah prayed that God would stop the rains from the heaven to the people of Israel repented. And so for three and a half years, there was a drought. And he prayed specifically. And so what really got a hold of me was we were on Hatteras Island. And we were actually trying out for the church that I pastored there for several years And we had come on a weekend. There was a hurricane that all of a sudden just started coming out of nowhere and was headed right toward Hatteras Island. It was Hurricane Eduardo with 200-mile-an-hour sustained winds. I don't know if you all have ever been on Hatteras Island or not, but Category 1 on Hatteras Island is pretty devastating. I can't imagine what a Cat 5 would do, but this thing was headed right for it. And so we started praying, and and I'm like, Lord, I, I, I don't know what to pray or how to pray with this thing. And the Lord took me to that verse of Scripture. And it says, Elijah was a man just like you and I are. King James says he was a man with like passions, even as you and I. And yet he prayed, and God shut up the heavens for a period of three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and God opened up the heavens, and he brought forth the rain and it watered the earth and brought forth fruit. Well, on the surface, that seems like really wasn't much to it. Elijah just prayed, and God answered on this end, and then He answered on that end. But if we take a deeper look at it, if you go to if you go to the book of 1 Kings, chapter eighteen, you will see the account where Elijah prayed and God opened up the heavens. Well, it was right after Elijah had had a tremendous victory on Mount Carmel. There were 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah that had, had, had been setting up idols all around Israel. The people were worshiping those gods. And Elijah said to them, he said, it's time for you to, to choose which god you're going to serve. You've been vacillating between two opinions. On one hand, you want to serve the god of Israel. On the other hand, you want to serve the gods of the Baals and the Asherahs. Which one is it going to be? He said, I'll tell you what, let's have a showdown you bring all the prophets of Baal, you bring the prophets of Ashura, and we will meet on Mount Carmel, and we will offer sacrifice to the God of heaven. And the God in answers will be the God of gods. And so they did it. And so they gather up on the mountain. You know what happens, or most of you do. If you don't, you can read about it in First Kings chapter 18. But as they get on the mountain, there's a contest there, and And so Elijah says, all right, you guys go first. You offer your sacrifice and you pray to your God. And if he answers from heaven and consumes your sacrifice, we will bow down and worship Baal. And we will worship the Asuras. And so they get out there and, and all morning long, they're out there dancing around. They're yelling, they're screaming, they're praying, they're doing everything that they can do and nothing's happening. And so Elijah begins to taunt them said, so, well, maybe your God's going on vacation. Maybe he had to relieve himself and he's going off in the bush somewhere. You know, he was just having fun with them. They started cutting themselves and bleeding and everything else, and, and they were just doing everything they could to try to get their God to answer and nothing. So after they had had this little charade for a while, sometime in the afternoon, Elijah said, enough. He said, okay, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to take the bulls that we have and put them on the altar. So they put them on the altar. And they had the wood under it and everything. They killed the sacrifice. They put it on the altar. He says, now, he said, before I cry out to my God, what I want you to do is get some water and put on it. So they got water and they poured it on there and he said and they started to run off. He says, dig a trench around it to catch it. So they dug a trench around it. And so they're pouring water on the sacrifice. And he he made him do it two or three times. So it was soaked. I mean, it was literally soaked. And so Abraham, or Abraham, but Elijah, Elijah cries out to God in a 67-word prayer. And he prays to God, to the God of heaven, a very simple, simple prayer. And God answers. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, consumes the wood, consumes the rocks, licks up the water in the trenches. So God answered. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah prayed, God answered, and showed which God was God. And then they wiped out the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. Yeah, Yeah, amen. Finish the work. Then after this great victory, Elijah takes his servant. He says, let's go to the top of Mount Carmel. And before he went, though, he said, he told someone, he said, go and tell Ahab to get ready because I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. So they sent a messenger to Ahab, King Ahab, who was the king over Israel, who was married to Jezebel. a Wicked, wicked guy. And So they go up on this mountain and and Elijah gets up there and it says that Elijah bows down to the earth with his head between his knees. Now, some of you ladies may know, but historically, that was the ancient way of giving birth. With his head between his knees, is bowed down before them. And so Elijah gets down on his hands and knees and he cries out to God for rain. Then he sends a servant up to the top of the mountain, says, go look over the sea and see if you see anything. So he comes back down and he says, nothing. Elijah prays again, he sends him back up, comes back, nothing. And he did this seven times. Now, what was, it? what was Elijah doing? Elijah was praying an importune prayer. He wasn't giving up. You know, sometimes you and I give up right on the brink of a miracle. We pray and we ask God for something, and when we don't immediately get it, we quit praying. Well, I guess God didn't hear me. He just, he doesn't care. He's not going to answer. But when we know that what we're praying lines up with his will and with his word, we can continue to pray and believe God for it and asking in faith. Don't give up. My mother used to pray for me. I'd come in in the middle of the night and I would hear my mama calling out my name. Well, that would so be up in a hurry. She'd be crying out for me, for God to save me. And the amazing thing is when it happened, God did it. I mean, it was totally God. It was all God. There was nobody witnessing to me, nobody trying to coerce me into getting saved or anything else. It's just that the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart at 3 o'clock in the morning on August the 15th, 1975, and I got saved. I gave my heart to Jesus at that time because my mother wouldn't quit praying. She kept on praying. Elijah kept praying seven times. And finally, on the seventh time, the servant goes up to the mountain. He looks, and he comes back down. He says, all I can see is a cloud about the size of a man's hand coming up out of the sea. And what did Elijah say? He says, will you run and tell Elijah, get ready. Or you go, Ahab, you run tell Ahab, get ready. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And so he runs and tells Ahab, and rain came, and God sent a torrent. Listen, we've been praying for revival. We can't give up. We can't stop praying. We've been praying for miracles. We can't stop praying. I began to pray for my healing in 2000, 1999. I discovered I had hepatitis C in 1999. Actually, I started praying, but I got a rainbow from God in 2000, and I didn't quit praying. In 2006, my healing was confirmed. God is good. See, it took a while, but I had to stand in faith and believe God and keep believing, keep standing on the promises of his word, not give up. Now, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. He said, men always ought to pray and not give up. We always ought to pray and not give up. And he gives an example of a woman who went to an unrighteous judge who didn't care about God nor men. And she kept coming to him and asking him to hear her case. And he wouldn't hear it. So finally, though, he gets tired of hearing this woman coming to him, begging him to hear her case. And simply because she wouldn't quit, she wouldn't leave him alone, He hears her case. And Jesus said, if your father in heaven, if you are that way, and this unrighteous judge is that way, how much more will your heavenly father hear you and give an answer to your prayer? God loves to answer your prayer, but he loves for us to call upon him. He loves for us to believe him. He loves for us to trust him and to allow him to be who he is. Amen? So if you've been praying about something, don't give up. You might be giving up right on the brink of a miracle. You've been listening to Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.